You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. There is no way Amazon or any other service provider will send you a file as an attachment that you're not waiting for. If you bought something, that's fine. You will get an attachment for the invoice or for anything else. But the simple PDF-based attack is based on the fact that you will open the mail, you will not be infected yet, and then you will open the file itself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Oren Corin, the CTO and co-founder of Verity Security, we're talking about avoiding phishing. But first, a word from our sponsor, Know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? Working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps. Actually having a weekend every so often. We get it. User behavior can be a challenge. But users can also be an InfoSec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped. What do we mean by that? Well, stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before on that very question. All right, Joe, before we jump into our stories, we've got quite a bit of follow-up this week. You want to start things off for us? Yes. Uh, I'm not going to name names here, Dave, but there is a company out there I've seen put this in their marketing literature. Cybersecurity Month, Awareness Month, Cybersecurity Awareness Month is October. Okay. Coming up soon. Right. Because here we are already in September. Can I believe it? So fast. (laughs) But can I please say, please do not abbreviate Cybersecurity Awareness Month as CSAM. Ah. I have seen people do this. (laughs) That means something else entirely. Right. Please don't do that. Yeah. Just say Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Like, especially... Because every industry has their abbreviations for things. Right. And what I found, you know, when you switch from one industry to the other, you bring all those old abbreviations with you. And so yeah. you have to translate them in your mind and go, no, that's not what that means. It means the new thing. Yeah. My son is studying <laughs> for an accounting test that's called a BEC test. Oh, nice. <laughs> I think that's a business email compromise test. Right. But no, it's like some sure. business and something else. I, I don't know what it means. I can't remember what it means. He told me uh, two nights ago what it meant. Yeah. And, or maybe it was last night. Yeah. That was too, I don't know. Recently, very yeah. recently. And I can't remember what it is because all I think is business email compromise. Right. Overloaded right. acronyms, not a good thing, especially with one industry, within one industry. And uh, CSAM means something else entirely. Yeah. And yeah. I think it deserves its own special place. Let me take this next one here. Okay. Uh, someone uh, who goes by the capital letter G writes in and says, in the AI versus AI episode, you mentioned that Google gave their source code so they can do business in China. That was me. I said I, that. I would appreciate if you can clarify this point with some references as my probably outdated experience is the opposite. My experience from five years ago is that Google is not even accessible from China. When five years ago my company expanded with an office in China, the only way we could get the China office to use our Google workspace 
was to route those connections through private lines to our Hong Kong or Tokyo office. If anything, Google are the only of the big ones who does not do business in China. This is correct, and this is my fault. I was wrong. I misremembered who had done it. It was IBM, and ah. we have a link to a Wall Street Journal article that uh, talks about this. Okay. And Microsoft. We have a link to a Microsoft News article that talks about this as well. Okay. So it was not Google, and the uh, G is correct. Yeah. All and right. Thank I don't know who the G correct. is, but I will note that G is the first letter of Google. <laughs> That's right. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> well... Thank you, G, for uh, setting us straight. We do appreciate that. Yes. Uh, We had a listener named Miguel write in who said, Good afternoon, Joe and Dave. Love listening to your podcast. Well, thank you, Miguel. Said, uh, in regards to the story of Tim, uh, I was prior law enforcement for about nine years before transitioning to cyber. I've had a few calls for service that dealt with online scams and can honestly say that I was not trained properly to handle them. Mm -hmm. I did my best as best I can. But as a deputy, low on the totem pole, I could not do much. Right. It sucked because my job was to help the community, no matter how small or big a situation was. Frustrating. Yeah. We did, however, have an awesome financial crimes unit. The sergeant in charge had lived and breathed financial crimes. If she was sleeping, I'm pretty sure she was dreaming about finances. Mm. She had taken upon it herself to ensure that the unit was capable of dealing with online scams and worked closely with our local FBI field office ensure that the investigation was done properly and in a timely manner. Good. So this is interesting from Miguel. Um, What it makes me wonder is if you approach your local law enforcement organization, should you lead with it being a financial crime rather than an online crime? I need to talk to your financial crimes unit. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Could be. I don't know. Uh, We should try that uh, next time we are aware of anybody being a victim of these kind of crimes. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. Well, interesting insights. Thank you, Miguel, for writing in. Uh, One more bit of feedback. This is from Will, uh, who wanted to draw our attention to a link expander. Mm. uh, And Will suggests urlexpander.org. Will says this expands things for you. And uh, actually, Will sent along a link uh, with a reference to my alma mater, the uh, University of Maryland, that just opened the Hacking Humans webpage. So thank you, Will. I did check it out. I used that link to check it out. Uh, so Will basically says that um, that they've they've checked out many of these link expanders, and this one seems to be the best. Ah. And I checked it out, and I agree. It's pretty full-featured. Uh, what I like particularly about it is that when you put a link in there to be expanded, it goes, expands it on its own, takes a screenshot, and posts the screenshot of it. Nice. So basically, you're you're pre-detonating the site <laughs> and yes. able to look at it before you go to it. On their on their servers. On their servers. Right. Yeah. So uh, very useful uh, thing there. So again, that's urlexpander.org. And thank you, Will, for sending that in. That's a handy tip. That's a good tip. tip. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to all of you for writing in. And of course, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at n2k.com. All right, Joe, let's jump into some stories here. Uh, mine is kind of short and sweet because uh, we had a lot of uh, follow-ups. Okay. So I want to just uh, be respectful of our time here. But uh, this is a, a story from the folks over at Bleeping Computer, and it's titled Sneaky Amazon Google Ad Leads to Microsoft Support Scam. Part of why this caught my eye, Joe, is that, you, uh, was it last week or the week before? I can't recall. It was two weeks ago, I think. I mentioned my father falling victim to one of these. Yes. That he called me, he summoned me to his home. Right. Uh, and I went, and his 
his Chromebook had been basically taken over and made inoperable by this pop-up message on his browser. Yes. And this article describes that. Uh, it is the same thing that I came across. There's a picture of it here in the article from Bleeping Computer, and it is the exact thing that I came across huh. when I went to my father's house to uh, unwind what had happened to him. Funny. The first line in this article, a legitimate-looking ad for Amazon in Google. Yeah. Search results. Right. Redirects visitors. So, again, last week, we've been talking about this a lot lately. Last week, I got taken in by the exact same problem with a hotel reservation site. Right, right. Yeah, so in this case, what happens is uh, this user does a, well, logs on to Google. Right. Does a search for Amazon. A sponsored link comes up that, for all the world, appears to be Amazon. It says, Amazon official site, online shopping, best deals, has the Amazon logo. But when you click through on the ad, it pops up this, Windows Defender security notification that hmm. basically says, uh, well, I'll, I can read you what it says. It says, access to this PC has been blocked for security reasons. Call Microsoft Windows support. And then it has an 800 number. Uh, it pretty much takes over the whole screen. Right. Um, and uh, I think, as I mentioned on our previous show, there's like a, there's a crawl on the bottom of the screen that, talk, you know, it, it, it's just doing everything to make you feel like this is important. Um, the other thing about this that this points out rightfully is that really the only way around this is to force quit out of Chrome. Uh, Chrome. Right. Well, if you're on a Chromebook, That's... Chrome is the operating system, right? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it, it's the front end. So it is front end of yeah, Chrome OS. Yeah. So you got to restart. But when you restart, the first thing Chrome asks you is, do you want to reload? Yes. All the, the tabs. And you have to say no. You have to say no. <laughs> no, I don't want to <laughs> do that. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in a loop here. Yeah. So a good advice there. This article also points out that uh, the folks at Bleeping Computer reached out to both Google and Amazon. Guess what they heard back, Joe? Uh, crickets. Nothing. Right? <laughs> they heard back nothing. Right. Um, I got to say, it's pretty frustrating that Google in particular doesn't seem to be either able or interested in... Uh, doing a better job at tamping this down. Well, Dave, don't forget uh, that there is money to be had here. You know, every time someone clicks on that link, Google makes a, a first off, they make money when you see the link, and if you click on it, they make more money. Right. So. Yeah. I would like, I mean, perhaps this is adorable of me, but I would like to think that Google is not perverse enough to to go with that incentive. Yeah, right? I, <laughs> I would like to think that too. Um, you know, this is damaging to their, um, damaging to their reputation. Right. So, right. and Google, like like a lot of major companies, cares about their reputation. Yeah. At the same time, we're seeing more and more stories, even in the mainstream press, that Google's becoming harder to use and less reliable. Yeah. And, and this is exactly why. I've noticed that the search results are not nearly as good as, like, Bing. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know why that is. Uh, I think people are maybe gaming the you know, the search engine optimization more on Google than they are on Bing. That would make sense. But, um... Right. Sort of the same reason why, uh, or one of the main reasons why Windows machines get more viruses than Macs because there's just so there's more, just of, more them. of them. They have so a bigger it's footprint. A, it's a more sensible part target. Right. Same thing, you know. If you're going to go after somebody, Google's the, the place to be. Right. And uh, DuckDuckGo, uh, they, um, they get their search results from Bing. My yes. Is they license it from Microsoft. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I would like to see them build their own index, but 
back in the 90s, Dave, when Yahoo and AltaVista and Lycos were the search engines. Right. Uh, it was easy to do that. There, <laughs> there weren't billions easier. upon billions <laughs> yes. upon billions of pages. Yeah. Um, now there are. You can't just build a web crawler and go out and crawl the web and hope to be done in a couple of days. That's not going to happen. Right, right. All right, well, we will have a link to this story from Bleeping Computer. If you're curious, uh, again, from a couple episodes ago, the the scam that uh, my father fell victim to, this has a, an actual image screen capture of uh, what I came across when I uh, opened up his Chromebook. So uh, it's, it's a good one to pass along to friends and family because it seems like it's making the rounds. Yes. Joe, what do you got for us this week? Dave, my story comes from WBZ. And Mike Sullivan is the author on this story. Okay. And the title of the article is Cambridge Shed Builder Thought He Was Getting an Award, But It Was a Vanity Scam. Oh. Huh. Now, Dave. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit after we talk about this uh, this business owner here, but about how this might be something that might get me. <laughs> okay. Because of my vanity. All right. So this is out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and there's a local business owner he was getting awarded a best of honor for his shed building. Okay. Now, his name is Kevin Richard, uh-huh. and he says, it's plausible I could win an award for shed building, and there are pictures of his <laughs> sheds in here, Dave. Does the guy build a pretty good shed, Joe? Look at the shed, Dave. <laughs> it is a work of art. Okay. These things are beautiful. Right. If there was an award for shed building, he would win it. <laughs> Reminds me of the old Monty Python sketch about, I forget the exact name, but it was like Joe Two Sheds Jackson or something like (laughs) that. Because he has two sheds. sheds. Yeah, yeah. No, these are fine looking sheds. I have to say that this is a high end looking shed. No, no doubt about it. This, this gentleman has skills. He does. Yeah. So he gets a phone call and it's a woman with a very generic name like Jenny Smith. Okay. And he says they didn't have a website. And she says that he could pay $150, $150 for a display plaque for his business or $1,500 for a media package where he wins a prize, where he he says he's the the best shed builder in Cambridge, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Um, Seems like there'd be a lot of shed builders in Cambridge. I don't know why. It just seems like a crafty part of the world to me. Yeah, shed building town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sheds are sheds are the are the cars up there. Well, it's, it's it not. It just seems like a you know up in Boston there are lots of crafty people. I guess I I'm being influenced by my uh, you know how much I used to enjoy watching this old house. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> they did a lot of work in New England. Yeah, exactly. Kevin says he's sure that they automate it and it scales up to get the hits and they prey on people with, uh, uh, fragile people with egos like me. Right. Says. Uh, he realized it was a scam right away and reported it to the better business bureau, um, of, uh, of Boston for this. Hmm. We all seek recognition. And unfortunately, this is a quote from Paula Fleming, who is a spokesperson for BBB. We all seek recognition. And unfortunately people have been scammed by this for many years. Last year it was brought up. And unfortunately a lot of Boston women were targeted they were nominated and asked to pay an upfront fee to make it to a runner-up status. And there were people paying the fee. Yeah. So this is kind of a short article, but I want to talk about this because lately in one of my email accounts, I've been getting tons of messages that are not getting caught by my spam filter for me to be listed in the who's who. I was going to ask, you know, that's funny you mentioned that because I was going to ask you about that because that's, that's the first, my first recollection of this sort of thing, a vanity right. 
product was the, you know, you could be who's who in small business owners or, right. you know, uh, high school graduates or, you know, these, and then way back in the day, they were books, right. you know, and you, they, someone made a book and you'd pay $200 to be in the book and you'd get a copy of the book. Right. And there were probably a thousand other people in the book. It was like a high school yearbook, basically the format of it. My grandfather actually paid to be listed in a book called who's who in the East. Okay. And my mom, I think, still has the book, but he's in there. Yeah. He's in there listed. Well, so let me ask you this. Your grandfather uh, gets solicited to be in the book. Right. He pays the fee. Yep. He gets in the book. They send him the book. You, it, the book is valuable enough that your grandmother still has the book. And my mother still has it. Your yep. mother still has the book. I'm right. sorry. Was that a scam? I don't know. The family has found value in that investment. That's a good question. Right. Good question. I mean, there are all kinds of pay-to-play awards. Yes, program. there are. There's no shortage of those. Right. You know, pay two hundred fifty dollars and get a trophy to put on your shelf. That, yes. Those, those are far and wide. Right. But I guess what this article is saying, if he had paid for the media package, he probably wouldn't have gotten anything. Is that the implication here? I don't know. He may have gotten something. May have gotten a plaque. Yeah. But See, that's an interesting question, isn't it? What's the markup on that plaque? Well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Here's here's another thing that I get. Uh, I did an interview with a small newspaper in, I think, Annapolis. Okay. And since I did that interview, at my work email address, I have been getting offers for press kits, like laminated plaques of me in this paper. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. I can't even remember the name of the paper. So I don't want a uh, laminated plaque of me in the paper. Right. There is one where if they would have called me, I would have been interested. And that's when I was fortunate enough to be interviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Right. Uh, because, you know, when I was in, in college, I had a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. And I was like, I wonder if I'm ever going to have my picture in there. And uh-huh. one day I actually did. Wow. It's like a career highlight. Was that the thing where they do like the little wood cutting? No, they thing? didn't do the wood cutting oh, on me. okay. <laughs> I wish you they did. You weren't that important. Just, <laughs> no. It's just the same picture that if you go to JHU's website that you see me there. It's okay. the same same picture All taken right. by well, JHU still. photographer Will. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been in the Wall Street Journal, so yeah. very nice. Well, yeah, I, I have a couple copies of the paper laying around. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I, I am do. vain. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, that would work on me. This is one of those things that if somebody called me and said, hey, uh, you want, but that Wall Street Journal thing was years ago, so nobody ever reached out to me about it. Yeah. Um, See, this is, that, but that's also interesting to me because um, back in my previous life, when I was, you know, sort of early days, right out of college, and and me and some friends were riding the wave of a desktop digital video, and we started a small company, we had a little office, and uh, we were looking for all the PR and press we could get. Right. And so when our local newspaper published an article about us, you know, new startup comes to town, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we absolutely printed that out and matted and framed it and hung it on the office wall. Oh, absolutely. You know, so my point is that I think for the folks who are offering that to you, again, like the who's who book, as long as you get something. Right. There is there, to me, there is some value in there, especially if you're not someone capable of printing, matting, and framing on your own. Right, right? which I am not. <laughs> right. But trust right. me, I... When I was getting my first degree, I had to do some uh, graphic design. I had to take a graphic design class, including matting and framing. Right. And the teacher was like, look, you suck at this. Just go up to the art store and have them mat and frame it. <laughs> right, 
She was very frank gonna, with me. I'm not even going to try to teach this to you, right. Joe. You're just too far. Yeah. <laughs> I liked her. I like this. I like this woman. She was very honest and, and direct with me, which is which I have a real appreciation for. Uh-huh. Um, but I got a C in that class. I, apparently, mm. she did not like my style. All right. but that's okay. I'm not much of an artist when it comes to drawing things. Fair enough. Fair enough. Writing is more my forte. So, what's the lesson here? Check your vanity. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, that's really what it is. These guys are going to come after you with some kind of uh, emotional trigger. We talk about it all that time with fear and greed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your vanity is also a target. You know, they're going to try to pump you up. Hey, look how smart you are. Look how cool you are. Look how good your sheds are. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's good that it, that they, well, is it good or not? I don't know. They went after, it would be, it'd be, wouldn't it have been funny if we opened this story and they were lousy sheds? Right? <laughs> Just like these <laughs> ram, ram shackle, you know. Like and a shed that I would build. Right. And yeah. instead of, like a Homer Simpson shed. <laughs> right. Like instead of these fabulous sheds that this gentleman builds, if they're just barely held together with spit and bailing wire, and right. the guy's like, wow, you know, finally the recognition I deserve. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm looking at these sheds, man. They are beautiful. They are. Yeah, I would, I'd be proud to have one of these sheds in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we will have a link to this story in the show notes. And again, we would love to hear from you. You can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from the EU Agency for Cybersecurity. Hmm. It's a, um, an eBay phishing scam. Yeah. So we'll have a link uh, to this uh, in the show notes. They have uh, a number of good examples here uh, from the EU uh, Agency for Cybersecurity of of phishing scams. Now, I'm going to read this, but then also there's something I want to unpack with you, Joe. So it goes like this. It says, Dear eBay member, we regret to inform you that your eBay account could be suspended if you don't re-update your account information. To resolve this problem, please visit link below and re-enter your account information. If your problems could not be resolved, your account will be suspended for a period of 24 hours. After this period, your account will be terminated. For the user agreement section 9, we may immediately issue a warning, temporarily suspend, indefinitely suspend, or terminate your membership and refuse to provide our services to you. If we believe your actions may cause financial loss or legal liability for you, our users, or us, we may also take these actions if we are unable to verify or authenticate any information you provide to us. Due to the suspicion of this account, please be advised that you are prohibited from using eBay in any way. This includes the registration of a new account. Please note that this suspension does not relieve you of your agreed-upon obligation to pay any fees you may owe to eBay. Regards, Safe Harbor Department, eBay Incorporated. This is an automated message. Do not reply. Okay. So this is a phishing message. Right. It is not real. Correct. Um, but one thing that caught my eye here was the link goes, the, the URL for the link is signin.ebay.com. Right. And then with a whole bunch of, you know, stuff afterwards. Correct. For tracking and, and all that good stuff. Um, what do you think about that? That is probably HTML where this is the display link. And then underneath there's an href that points to some phishing site that collects a uh, username and password for eBay accounts. Right. That's exactly what I thought. But right. at first glance, 
you look at it and you go, oh, well, that's eBay. That is eBay. That's correct. So if you hover over the URL, uh, and there are also ways to do it on the mobile devices, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head what they are, but they do exist even though they are not as convenient as on your desktop device. Correct. You can see that true link that's underneath of there. Correct. The other thing that struck me about this was this paragraph where they go into basically boilerplate legal stuff. Right. My guess is they copy and pasted this from the eBay uh, EULA. They may have actually tried to conduct an eBay scam mm. and gotten their account suspended. And this might actually be copied from that email. Oh, that's an interesting right? idea. It, yeah. Because it does look like, hey, look at our user agreement, Section 9. Right. Uh, we could right now go and look at Section 9 of the eBay EULA, but Dave... Who wants to do that? No. <laughs> so uh, probably what this is doing is trying to get your eBay credentials. Yep. You would go and uh, log into a site that looked like it was eBay, but of course it was not. They would get your credentials, take over your account, and then do the bad things they do. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, we'll have a link uh, to this uh, website in our show notes. Uh, the folks at enisaeuropa.eu, that's the European Union Agent for Cybersecurity, have a nice little webpage. It has a bunch of different uh, phishing examples. We may uh, borrow some of them from them in the future as well. We were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing. They're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons KnowBefore has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, Imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash securitycoach. That's knowbefore.com slash securitycoach. All right, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Oren Koren. He is the CTO and co-founder of a company called Verity Security, and we're talking about phishing avoidance. Here's my conversation with Oren Koren. So I relocated to the U.S. two months ago, and it was my first time being in the U.S. for Amazon Prime. So my wife really wanted that. So I gave her, of course, an account. She opened everything. <laughs> I trained her how to use it. I told her what not to do, but then I said, okay, if she wants that and okay, it's coming up in the upcoming Friday, let's try to find some stuff uh, that can be useful for us to be, to protect ourselves from one side of it. But maybe there is something bad going on behind the scenes. I've sent it to my research team in Israel and uh, we started to look for stuff. And when we are looking at those kind of uh, potential attacks, we try to put our opposite hat of the attacker side. And 
I think one of the interesting things were, okay, how do I start? How do I find something that is related to Amazon Prime that is bad for a user? Mm. And there are multiple ways to go in this path. We've taken four ways, uh, more than that, but we found four different things that were super interesting uh, in this research. Eventually, she bought a lot of stuff. I bought a lot of stuff. It was a good one. The kids were yeah, too. super yeah. active. Yeah, all of us. Um, but yeah, we found super interesting stuff related to the campaigns that we found there. Well, let's go through it together here. I mean, what are some of the things that you all highlight? So I think one of the first things that we've seen is the simple attack. That means a file that is attached to an email. And think about a scenario where you're getting an email with an attachment saying, we're going to disable your account or we're renewing it now. You need to open your account if you don't want to renew it. So from one hand, if you want an account and it's going to be disabled, so you need to log in from the other side. If you don't have any account, so why the hell am I'm going to log in and I'm going to pay for it. So mm. we saw a file, a PDF file as an attachment sending to thousands of people, really. We saw like thousands of malicious emails with this PDF when the goal there was simple to open the file and then just to log in through a phishing domain or a lookalike domain. It was pretty spreaded, but the interesting part, and that's another angle we've looked at, is the targeted countries and the language was very focused on the U.S. And I will talk about it in a second, how we found some of the groups that was actually running that. But the first one was the simple one, a PDF file that was attached. And unfortunately, some of the anti-phishing uh, solutions did not find that. Mm. Yeah, in, in the file level. But then in the checking process, we're also deploying all the security controls that there are, just bought all of them. And we saw that anti-phishing in the browser is something that is useful against that because you try to log into somewhere, but it's, it's a lookalike. It's not real. So that's how we actually started. We found some uh, suspicious or malicious files. Uh, and from that, it was like uh, going to the rabbit hole because now the next question is, okay, it's a suspicious malicious file. There is a domain that looks exactly like Amazon. Who created it? And did he create it more? How many variants are there? And that was the next step of the workflow of the research. Yeah. Well, the next one that you highlighted here were email-based uh, spear phishing campaigns. What was going on there? Yeah, what we found in the relation to the first one, it was a mistake of an attacker. He reused the domain for spear phishing and for the attachment. And what we've done there is we found one uh, from one of the uh, files that were attached. But from that, we started to research on all of the domains, all of them, that has been bought in the last month. And we've created an automation for that to see all of the new domains that have been registered. And with our systems, we were able to find all the lookalikes domain to the lookalike one. That means we scanned all of them, all the new ones that have been bought in the globe. And we found hundreds of domains that were divided into different groups of attacks. And that's, I think, the interesting part here. When we've looked at that, we said, okay, they've bought a domain for two bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks. Mm. But who has done that? Like who bought like 200 domains or 100 domains because we grouped them. And then we found a kit, just an attack kit that you can buy in 300 bucks or like a quarter of uh, or 0.003 something of uh, Bitcoin. 
And you can actually run the entire campaign with just putting the domain inside. So we bought it and we've tried to understand, okay, we have the kit, the attack kit, we have all the domains. Now, who is not being attacked? Because we understand the US citizens are being attacked and some of the Europe are being attacked, but who is not? And we found interesting exceptions in the code in different campaigns saying, if someone from country A, B, or C is getting in or open it, don't run it. Hmm. So it was a targeted, was interesting. And I will say that the next step with the malware itself, it was a, a pretty simple variant of a malware. But the interesting part was, is that it's not just to steal your user and password for Amazon like that first campaign. It's actually infect your host because you want to log into your Amazon. And uh, that's, again, it's, it could be used with the PDF file that is attached. But in this case, it was a link that sends you to a malicious or infecting website and through a browser vulnerability, it will download the malware eventually. So hmm. it was a, yeah, it was a combination of the two things, but one group specifically taken the two approaches. And that's how we've moved forward for this approach of saying, okay, so now someone is infecting hosts and not just stealing user passwords. So the next one that you highlighted here, kind of moving away from from websites and email, this is actually applications that were impersonating the Amazon apps themselves? Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. It was uh, one of the researchers um, said, what if I will look years back and I will find suspicious or malicious apps and then I will look for new ones and if there is any cross-correlation between them. So the interesting part there is some of them, we've posted only one of them, but we found some. Some of them were super, super sophisticated and very good ones. Like you really can think that you're using Amazon, but you're not. And eventually you give all of your information inside and then the app doesn't work. So you delete it. But the simpler ones are so simple. They're going back to the roots of stealing your user password. But also when you infect the mobile device itself, what they've done is let's send free SMSs. Let's take all the data from the phone itself. So it was a parallel campaign and de definitely a different uh, attacking group. Uh, someone thought about this idea, wrote the apps, of course, different language. And we saw, in this case again, it's, I think, tens of thousands of downloads from exfiltrating data there. There was one more interesting part. How do you take the data from the phone? How do you take the data from the user and send it up? They've used file sharing to send the data out. So it's like you've infected yourself and then you're sending to a file share. There are so many ways to do that. All your personal data all the time, including your, they took all of your photos and they can take a photo or record the audio, even if you didn't allow it. So mm. it was, yeah, a parallel campaign with the goal of stealing everything you have eventually, but using Amazon as a Amazon Prime. Yeah, and then another thing that you all listed here, you have a, a list of 170 domains uh, that are suspicious here that, that you suspect could be used in future phishing attacks related to Prime Day. I mean, a lot of these, some of them are, you know, obvious sort of scam things, but the, many of them, they look like they could be a legit domain that Amazon may have use for? Yeah. In some cases, you can think about that. Um, you have 
amazonrn.com. So that's maybe something that you will look at the browser, but maybe you have amazon-refund. Okay, that's a refund. But mm-hmm. that's .top, T-O-P. That's not .com. And there are so many variants of the lookalike domains that you see in here. Is that the technique is, first of all, to be aware that someone is trying to do that against you. And second, it's even not enough in some cases. Because you'll go to the website, if it looks the same, you will conduct the login, you will be redirected to the main page, but they will steal from you in the meanwhile. So this is only a small portion of what we have found. We didn't publish everything, all the domains, but we've checked all of them. And the important part is that now if you have an antibot, an anti-malware, an antivirus, even the common ones, what we've done with this data is we've shared it with the community. First of all, let's give it to all of the community, all of the vendors through the regular systems and workflows so everyone will be protected and then publish it. So if you look on some, if not all of the domains, now you cannot go there, first of all. But second, mm-hmm. the attackers uh, already understood that they've been caught. One last thing that is interesting, if you look at the list in the publication, there are so many that are looks almost the same. Just one thing that has been changed in the middle. <laughs> and even if you are not like a security expert, you can just create groups of them. And that's, that's interesting to think as an attacker. How do they think? If you look at uh, Amazon return money or Amazon turn money or Amazon turn return money. So, okay, so someone thought about an idea. Think about it by yourself. And it's okay, let's buy three of them. Uh, the only unfortunate part for the attackers is that we worked super fast and they paid for all of those domains, but unfortunately they got blocked. So uh, they've lost a few thousands of bucks on the way. And that's yeah. fine. Yeah, I'm willing to do that again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So what's your advice for people out there who want to, you know, they want to use Amazon, but they want to make sure that they're doing it in a safe way. What are your tips? So first of all, I will use the mobile part as the first important notion because all of us are using um, mobile devices and buying from um, using our apps. The thing is that in most of the stores, the formal one, you cannot really download the malware. It's hard to upload the malware. We found some, but most of the malware that you will find are from not the official sources. Google are doing a great job. Uh, Apple are doing a great job. All of those vendors with their app store are doing an amazing job to protect us. But you need to verify an important thing. First of all, you download the app. It should be from a formal and official source. And unfortunately, people in the past, we had jailbreak, right, for iPhone. Um, mm. That all of us, or some of us used. So don't use that anymore. Don't do that to yourself because you'll actually infect yourself. And it's not the infection. It's the fact that now someone can hear everything you're saying. Someone can see everything you're doing. Just download from the official sources. This is the first thing. Second, there is no way Amazon or any other service provider will send you a file as an attachment that you're not waiting for. If you bought something, that's fine. You will get an attachment for the invoice or for anything else. But the simple PDF-based attack is based on the fact that you will open the mail, you will not be infected yet, and then you will open the file itself. Now, to overcome that, It's pretty simple. Update your software. 
it's like that. I can focus on the security controls that can protect from it in a second. But if you update all the time your software as a consumer or as an enterprise, and the simple softwares, those are Adobe or the PDF or the Microsoft-related one for desktops and laptops, those will reduce the attack surface on you related to files because the attacker will use a vulnerability in your Adobe version or your world version. So just keep it updated. So that's the second part. The third, and I think the most common thing that we see again is um, that your attackers are stealing user and password and trying to do that using those phishing websites. You need to be aware, first of all, that so many attackers are trying to achieve that. That's the first and simple advice I have, just to be aware of it. But second, one of the best tools that all of us have and can use as consumers or as enterprises are anti-phishing in the browser. There are super, like it's not simple, super simple deployments of those technologies that will just say, okay, this is a lookalike domain. This is a phishing domain because it uses the same icon on the top, but it was registered two weeks ago. So definitely not Amazon. Or it looks like Amazon, but it's not because it was implemented in the wrong way from a JavaScript perspective. So you have a browser. You can use the native ones. You can download the good and new ones that are doing and focusing on zero and anti-phishing. But those features, you have them already. In your enterprise, definitely everybody have them. You just need to use them. I think that's one of the root causes that we see. People are buying security controls and products, consumers and enterprises, and they're not using it. So just use what you have and it will block most of it. I can tell that by the way, because we've bought all of the security controls you can think of, because again, that's one of our things that we do. We analyze and we automate processes there, but they can really block it. They can really do their job, even for a zero-day domain, an unknown one. But Unfortunately, you're not using your security controls in the best way. So just mm. use them. Last thing is awareness. Uh, awareness training is something that is mandatory if you have a compliance, of course, as an enterprise. But if you're a small shop, uh, you have 50, 100 employees. It's their responsibility to understand that there is a challenge. It's your responsibility. You want to give more to your employees from one hand or from the other hand, you have the compliance regulations that you need to have. You must... You must train your employees. Start with yourself, by the way. Start with train on your own domains because this is an example of on Amazon. You have those on your organization every day. Some of them are getting in. Your employees need to be trained. So it's training, training, training. Joe, what do you think? Dave, did you buy a lot of stuff on Prime Day? You know, I actually did. Really? Well, uh, yes. I Let's... Uh, a lot of stuff. Um, I spent a good amount of money on Prime Day. So okay. there were several expensive items that I purchased on Prime Day that were really good deals. I bought a pair of um, AirPod, AirPod Pros. Okay. That I'd been, uh, you know, been on my list. And there was a particularly good deal. I pulled the trigger... And I bought them. So Prime far, Day. I've not had found anything that on Prime Day that I wanted to buy. Okay. I, it, I've looked for the past four or five years. Nothing has come to me and gone, oh, I got to have that for that price. That's a good price. I've just never had it. Maybe okay. it's because... 
Lucky you. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or the algorithms haven't got their hooks in you or something. Right. You don't use Amazon enough. Oren is using adversarial thinking. Uh, early on in the interview, he talks about what would we do if uh, if we wanted to trick somebody with, with the Amazon Prime Day. This is a vital skill. Uh, and I, I say this often that just because you have the ability ability to think adversarially does not make you a bad person, right? <laughs> just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Right, exactly. <laughs> that too. Right. Adversarial thinking is very important. That way it helps you recognize when somebody might be actually out to get you, as you say. Yeah. Thousands of malicious PDFs to collect credentials. Uh, very focused in the U.S. and anti-phishing missed it. Mm-hmm. That's significant, I think. Yeah. I also think it's significant that he found the kit that was available for like 300 bucks that was completely automated. Right. That's, I don't know. I, want, I was going to say fantastic, but it's not fantastic. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing. Yeah. That, you know, you don't three, need skills to, to run these scams. You just need money. Right. You just yeah. need a little bit of money. 300 right. bucks is not a lot of money. Right. And a certain amount of moral flexibility. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, moral flexibility. That's a nice way to say it, Dave. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then there was another one where they were not just stealing your credentials, but also infecting your host mm-hmm. with uh, with drive-by downloads or with malicious downloads. Uh, that is also very interesting. It's also interesting that some of these kits will not let you operate in some countries. Pretty safe to guess the country of origin when you see that. Right. 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 Interesting. The mobile apps run the gamut as well. The mobile apps that that imitate or or pretend to be Amazon using file share as a way to upload all your information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, remember that that file sharing is a useful tool. And like any useful tool, it can be used to do good things or bad things. Right. So here it is being used maliciously. We yeah. see this all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, these malicious, uh, malicious apps that are on your phone will access all the sensors on your mobile device. And uh, that can be absolutely devastating to you. If you think about just being able to turn your microphone and camera on and recording everything you do. Right. I mean, the privacy implications are huge. Uh, You do not want that. I think the discussion of the domains was pretty interesting as well. There's a lot of domains that look like they would be Amazon domains. Mm -hmm. And I think I've actually seen uh, legitimate domains that, tech companies have used that aren't like Microsoft.com. It's like Microsoft something else.com. I, I seem to remember having a memory of that. Maybe yeah. I'm mis- maybe this is a Mandela effect thing. Well, in the, in the old days, you know, the early days of the internet, a lot of times you'd see folks, uh, you'd see links that would refer to Akamai, especially if you right. were streaming video or something like that. Yeah. You know, in the days before everybody had big pipes to the internet, yeah. only a few companies did. Right, so, like companies like Akamai, which exactly. were content distribution networks. Right. That's how they got big. Right. I like the story that Oren tells here where he uh, he and his team got to essentially cost these guys a few thousand dollars in domains mm-hmm. by getting them <laughs> shut down and getting them listed as uh, as indicators of compromise, Yeah, which is a, uh, a term of art in the industry here where we once, – once something is listed as an indicator of compromise or an IOC – that information is pretty quickly disseminated. Right. And those domains become useless. And there is actually precedent for those domains being seized by companies like Amazon or, or Microsoft. So you might, you might have a malicious domain, and then later on, that just becomes the property of Amazon 
because they go, well, this is obviously someone fishing for credentials. They shouldn't have it. Give it to us. Right. And then Amazon maintains that domain and nobody ever buys it again. Sometimes the FBI puts a nice little splash yes. page on it. Yes, they do. <laughs> I've, I've seen that happen a number of times. Right, right. So I like, I like, the, um, I like the advice that Oren gives. Don't sideload Amazon apps. If you're a regular user, just a person that uh, you know, is not technical, there is no reason for you to ever sideload an app. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that, that you need to do that. You don't need to jailbreak an iPhone either. No, no. Have you ever jailbroken your iPhones? No, I have not. No. No, it just never seemed worth it to me. I mean, there. I was certainly tempted along the way, particularly in the early days right. when the uh, the iPhone had some pretty limited functionality. I mean, it took, it's, it's hard to remember now, but it took several versions of the iPhone before we had copy and paste, right? right? So, like, <laughs> that's a pretty good motivation for wanting to jailbreak your iPhone. Yeah. But, you know, these days, I think the reasons to do it are fewer and farther between. So right. So, I've resisted. I, I have rooted a couple of Android phones mm-hmm. to install, like, Cyanogen mod on it, but I haven't rooted my last four phones. Yeah. So... I don't know why you would need to do that. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta have a good reason, and you gotta know what you're doing. Right. Otherwise, you're just looking for trouble. Right. Yeah. If you're a developer, yeah. Yeah. And maybe you don't want Google. Maybe you want to install a a, a a different mod because you don't want Google tracking you everywhere. Okay, I get it. Yeah. yeah maybe maybe then, but uh, otherwise, no. Well, uh, but I, I think a, a side issue here is that you should go through the official Play Store and App Stores. Right. Because obviously on Android, you have the option of sideloading from alternate App Stores. Correct. Which Apple doesn't let you do. Correct. So think twice before you do that because none of the App Stores are perfect, but they're pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like Amazon actually has an App Store that you have to enable the loading of third-party apps to do it. Right. So I haven't done it on on my last two phones. I have done it before, but not recently. Yeah. The Amazon invoices are on their website. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you log into your account, you have access to all your Amazon invoices on your website. They never need to email you one. Right. You never need to download a PDF or or open a PDF in an email. You just go to your Amazon account and look at all your invoices. Yeah. Uh, keep your software updated. This is a big one. This is one of the top three things I say to people. Uh, right after use multi-factor authentication, use a password manager, keep your software updated. Mm. The fact that a lot of these vulnerabilities are exploited on software that could have been patched. Well, the longer you go with unpatched software, right, the lower hanging fruit you become. That's correct. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> right. The longer you go with unpatched <laughs> software, the lower, <laughs> the lower hanging fruit you are. Yeah. You know, it takes like seven seconds for a Windows XP box to be owned when it's, on, when it's put on the internet. We were trying to set up a Windows XP box for our our students because we do that, right? We have we have students that need to conduct malicious activity, and we have a special little network where we do this, right? And uh, our our systems engineer Chris Chris Venghouse put it on, <laughs> put it on the internet once, and it was it was done in seven seven seconds. Wow, it was so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was inside of it already. <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah. And that's an example of what, what we're talking about here. That I mean, XP is a very old operating system with a lot of known vulnerabilities that are not going to get patched. Right. Period. Because the operating system is not supported anymore. Right. Uh, so that's another thing. Use a supported operating system. Be aware that your credentials have value. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I said this last week. I'll say this again. Don't think that you have nothing of value to an attacker. The credentials to your account have value to an attacker. Even if they just want to resell it, they can get a couple bucks for it, yeah. which is significant to them. The anti-phishing tools in the browser that Oren talks about, I, I think these are coming along. I don't know. I haven't had the opportunity to interact with these. Yeah. I know that a lot of password managers that interface with your browser or integrate with your browser, rather, uh, have a feature that will say, whoa, 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 this is not the website you think it is. Right. Um, right. Which is very helpful. Yeah, which is remarkably helpful. But before you give anything the ability to look at everything you're doing, be, just be careful to vet it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Because it could be a bad person. It could very well be a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Yep. A pretty interesting interview. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, again, our thanks to Oren Corin from Verity Security for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like Hacking Humans are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.